thousand churches planted just the way that your, the skit showed us and through guys going to share the gospel with the people they believe in. They didn't tell me how long I had to talk, so I guess they'll come take me down when they're ready. Um, so <coughs> so um, these people have been, they've made, they just changed my heart every time, every year, year after year, every work with them because what I've been learning from the hundred or so guys that help us oversee all that work is that they believe the scriptures. I, I don't have any other way to say it is that they believe in the scriptures. I want you to do me a favor. Can you stick your hand out like this or like this? Uh, and the Bible says what? That the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand, right? And that's what these guys believe, and they live it. They live it every day. They get beat up on their way to share the gospel. They get beat up to go and help the church planners. They get robbed. They have car accidents. Their families suffer. They get, their families get attacked while they're traveling. But they still go out every time because they believe that the kingdom of God is here. This morning when I hit my alarm at 7 o'clock, I said, 9 o'clock's not here. And I went back to sleep and almost missed service. But these guys are not doing that. They're not hitting the snooze button. They're, they're waking up and they're going after it because they believe this, that if, if we miss here, we'll, it'll be behind us before, before we look. Amen? And that's really all I want to share with you because we're working right now in Kenya, Tanzania, Rwanda, Congo, and Egypt, and we're pushing into Sudan, South Sudan, Uganda, and, uh, and praying for Somalia. If you go and look at some of these, uh, the, the, the unreached people groups that are in the hallway, you'll see all those countries have people there. If you look at what's happening in the world, a lot of these countries have a lot of turmoil going on inside of them, people who need, they just need Jesus. So I'm so grateful to be here again to meet and to hear your vision and your passion for missions and people um, having their lives changed, receiving something which is salvation that they should never recover from. They should always walk with that. So I really am grateful. Just thank you for hearing us out. Thank you for sending Jeff, Jeff, and Josh and some of y'all can visit us too. Amen? Thank you. Amen. Amen. Isn't the Lord good? All right. Uh, I think, are, are y'all going to sing something or is Brother, Brother Nelms going right after? All right, Brother Dave, come on up. This is Brother David Nelms. He's our representative with TTI. We are partnering together, winning souls together, serving together, giving together, sacrificing together, going after it. You already know him, so let him know you love him. Amen? Amen. I love this church. Your pastor preaches a better sermon given announcements than most preachers can preach. I can just listen to them all day. It's, it's amazing. Hey, uh, my wife is here. Darling, would you stand, please? And it's my wife, Loretta. We've been married uh, 40 years, and I think she's more beautiful than the day we got married. But we are so grateful to be partners with you guys. I was here last year grown in love with everybody I've met here. You, you folks are just so wonderful. And I'm here primarily to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Again, what you saw up here, that's the way it happens. These uh, Jesus films and proclaimer boxes, uh, I was telling Pastor Malcolm that our numbers, see, we're in partnership with the Jesus film and with Faith Comes By Hearing that has the proclaimers. And they resource our church planters. They give us those boxes. They give us the packs. And our numbers go up about 25% as a result of using, because they can actually hear the Bible and they can see the God, they can see the crucifixion. It's not unusual for them to weep 
as they see Jesus. You know, we hear this uh, crucifixion story, and we've heard it a million times. They've never heard it. Listen very closely. They're not rejecting Jesus Christ. They don't know who he is. They have no idea who he is. And you guys today have an opportunity to do something about that. And I want to tell you something. I think your goal is 200 churches. That's $60,000. That ought to be as easy for this church as Auburn or Alabama beating up on a junior high football team. You, you, you just ought to have absolutely, uh, th- th- listen, you should have no problem with it at all. Let me show you a couple of slides and then I'm going to preach. If you put the next one up there, guys. This is a picture of the world. One-third of the world is what we would call Christian world. Now, that would include USA. You know we're no more Christian than the man in the moon, but, but that's what the world would call us, Christian world. And then about 26% of the world is non-Christian. And what that means is there are some churches there, there are some Christians there, but overwhelmingly the majority of the people would not call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. But then there's 41% of the world that is unreached. Here, very few Christians. In some cases, there are no Christians at all. We've been taking some of the money you folks have been sending for the last year, and every bit of it has gone into that 41% right there. And we're seeing hundreds and hundreds of churches, thousands, in fact, started. Look at the next slide. This is uh, devastating to me. This is how, how the, the church resources their missionaries and their, the mission's money. 72% of missionaries, 72% go to the Christian world. 25% go to the non-Christian world. Where we're spending your money, 3% goes to the unreached world. 87% of every, 87 cents out of every missions dollar goes to the Christian world. 12% goes to the non-Christian world. 1%, 1% goes to the, the, uh, the unreached world. And again, we're focusing, you guys are focusing on that unreached world right there. One more slide, I believe. Yeah, here it is again. Here's how we distribute it. 84% of the money we receive goes to the unreached world, uh, 10% the non-Christian world, only 6% the, uh, the, uh, the, the Christian world. So this, this faith promise giving you're talking about, this big offering you're talking about, it is going to focus on reaching people that literally have never heard about Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you this morning about living with eternity in view. Living with eternity in view. Colossians 3.2. Do you all mind standing up again out of respect for God's word? Plus two of you have fallen asleep already. Okay. <laughs> Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Read it with me. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. How many, of you, how many of you have noticed there's no please in that verse? It is not a request. It is a command as much as any other command in the Bible is a command. You may be seated. Set your affection on things above, not on things of this earth. Your affection, your heart, your focus, your priority, your mind, your, 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 your everything. Paul is saying here, don't be enamored with the here and now. Get your eyes off of this world and put your eyes on eternity and what matters. A few months ago, my home church in Raleigh 
the uh, admin called and she said, David, Pastor Jimmy wants you to come in and shoot a video. I said, okay, whatever my pastor wants, I'll do. What's the subject? She said, we want you to talk to us about how to live with eternity in view. And she said, you got to do it in two minutes or less. Okay, so I got I to gotta teach people how to live with eternity in view in less than two minutes. Well, I started making excuses. I said, first of all, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel here. I, don't, I haven't figured out how to do that yet myself anyway. You need to get somebody. She said, no, he wants you to come in and do it. And I made every excuse I could make. In fact, I said to her, I said, to her, I said listen, I work with giants. The people I work with overseas, they can talk on this subject with authority and with credibility. Andre could talk on this subject with authority and credibility. I said, I can't. I thought of a lady named Leilani. Can you put up the next slide there, guys? This is uh, one of my Sri Lankan friends, Pastor Malcolm. Uh, her husband was a Buddhist monk. He became a follower of Christ. Someone told him about Jesus. He began discipling people and starting churches all over Sri Lanka. The other Buddhist monks got together and they drug him out of his house one night and beat him to death. Left her as the widow and a little boy. She picked up the mantle. She, uh, that's her picture there right in the middle. The, the pictures directly around her are the people that she has discipled in the last two years. The pictures beyond there that kept going, I, cu- I couldn't get them all in my, in my lens, are the people that her disciples have reached in the last year or two. This lady, when she walks into the room, everybody gets quiet. Have you ever been in the presence of someone that just walked with God? This lady walks with God. I've stood next to her in church, and she begins singing, and she raises her hands to heaven, and her voice is not that great, but I believe the angels stop and listen. When she prays, you can, you can, you can sense that you're literally in the presence of Almighty God. Here is a lady who understands what it means to live with eternity in view. Most of us, me included, we don't live for eternity in, with eternity in view. You see, our culture, everything about our culture works like a giant magnet pulling us away from a fully devoted life for Jesus Christ. You come in here, as Pastor Malcolm said, and we get stirred up and we leave this place fully intending to tell everybody that everything that breathes, everything that moves, we're going to tell them about Jesus. We intend to sell out lock, stock, and barrel. We intend to give God everything to be fully surrendered. But our culture, I mean, it's like a magnet. We want to go this way and we just, there's so many distractions and, and we find ourselves coming back over here. I mean, think about the, the busyness of life. Some of you, it's, it's messing you up just being in church for an hour today. I mean, you've got so much to do. And, and some of you are working two and three jobs, and, and the kids need braces, and about the time they get out of braces, they got to go to college, and the car's just about a, it's just a, you need a new car, and the, 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 the roof is leaking, and your boss is a jerk, and you got, you got so many problems, and so you got to work and work and work and work. And some of you have to work two jobs. Some of you maybe even three jobs. And by the time, you, and that's the real world, is it not? And by the time, and, and then you come to church, and the, the bald-headed missionary wants you to give money. And so you, you work and you work and you work and you work and you work, and you finally save up enough money to, to retire, 
and two weeks later you drop dead of a heart attack. And then your wife's next husband spends everything you saved. <laughs> you say, David, I would love to live with eternity in view, but the truth is, you know, it's easier said than done. You know, I read this verse, Colossians 3, and I said, I, do you ever talk to the, to the Bible authors? I know the Holy Spirit inspired it, but I found myself saying, Paul, that's easier said than done. I hear what you're saying, Paul. You're telling me I'm supposed to live with eternity in view, but listen, Paul, you've never lived in the United States. Everything about our culture, everything about our culture pulls us away, distracts us. I grew up in the next state over Georgia. My parents taught me to read the Bible, and I'd read verses like, what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. Jesus' little brother, James, wrote those words. You ever on a cold morning walked outside and you breathe and you could see your breath just for an instant, then it, dis, it dissipates, it disappears. You know what James is saying? He's saying your life compared to eternity is like that little vapor of air you see, breath you see for just a moment compared to your life. And yet we focus on the little momentary breath. How foolish is that? I read words like these where Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world? The whole world, everything in it, yet lose his own soul. I'd read verses like these, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. And I think to myself today, who does that? Who believes that? I'd read verses like, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves do not break through. And still, do not lay up for yourselves, Jesus said, treasures on earth because the thieves will break through. And still, there are thieves everywhere. We got thieves in North Carolina. I know you got them in Alabama. How many of you locked your cars out in the parking lot? Let me see your hand. I locked mine, and it's not even my car. It's a rental car, and I still locked it. See, I'd read verses like, Jesus said, if you... Say, he said, if you, if you save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake in the Gospels, you will save it. And I found myself asking, who does this stuff? I mean, it sounds great, and we preach it, we teach it, we memorize it, and we say we believe it, but who really lives like that? I mean, who really lives like this? So how do we do it, Paul? How do we live with eternity in view? Well, I'm going to tell you, when I'm able to practice what I'm getting ready to tell you, it works for me. First of all, you just got to believe the Bible. It's what Andre said a moment ago. Those guys believe the Scriptures. You just got to believe the Bible. And we say we believe the Bible. We're convinced we do. I think if I went around this room from the top row on the balcony to the front row here, and I asked you, do you believe the Bible is the Word of God, I'd be shocked if anybody said no. We say we believe the Bible, we're convinced we, 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 we believe the Bible, but I got my doubts. For you see, the Bible is a powerful book, it's miraculous, and when you believe it, when you get it out of your head into your heart, and you actually do what it says to do, the, listen, there is a transformational, miraculous power to the Scripture. It's got God's breath all over it. It's powerful. One day he spoke, and nothing became everything. He spoke, and Mount Sinai ruptured into 
a volcano with lightning and fire and thunder and smoke and trumpets blasting. He spoke. The windows of heaven were open and the rains came down and the ark was lifted up off the face of the earth. He spoke and blind eyes were open. He spoke and deaf ears could hear. He spoke and crippled legs could leap and run like a deer. He spoke. The winds hushed. He spoke and the waves were tamed. He spoke and the demons were terrified. He spoke and a little bit of food became a feast that fed thousands. One day he spoke just one word to Telestai. One word and Satan's head was crushed right there at the cross. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm telling you the words of God are powerful. When you really believe the word of God so much to where you'll actually do what it says to do, it changes you. It makes an offering seem so simple. For example, do we really believe that there's a heaven and there's a hell? We say we believe there's a hell. Yet did you know the average church today in America, less than 3% of the average church in America actually tries to tell somebody about Jesus during the week? Now, my guess is you're way above that. But I'd be shocked if more than 20% of you told anyone about Jesus this past week. How in the world can we say we believe there's a place where people go for eternity and they never get out? It's a place of awful torment. That's the word Jesus used. How in the world can we say we believe that and never open up our mouths? You see, we believe it up here, but I'm not convinced we got it down here, ladies and gentlemen, because if we really believe there was a hell, we'd be warning everybody. Do we really believe that there's a real throne in heaven, that a real God sits on that real throne and that he's really going to judge every one of us? Do we really believe that Jesus is coming again and it could be any time? Do we really believe that, that he wants the gospel to be preached to all nations, to make disciples of all nations? Do we really believe that we are, we are his ambassadors? Not, not your preacher, but we, each of us, are his ambassadors. Do we really believe that to us has been entrusted, the Bible says, entrusted, the ministry of reconciliation that we have the privilege to go out to the world and say, you be reconciled to God. Do we really believe that stuff? Do we really believe that he answers prayer? Is that why we pray so much? Do we really believe that give and it shall be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over? We quote it, but do we really believe it? You know, the Bible talks about giving cheerfully. I'm sure you've heard it said before. That means to give with a hilarious spirit. When's the last time, I was listening a moment ago, Malcolm. When's the last time during a church offering somebody just bursted out into laughter? I mean, think about it. I read something this week that devastated me. Americans will give less money for missions amongst the unreached world this year than they will spend on Halloween costumes for their pets. Now, I'm all for dressing up uh, Spot or Fifi or I, I don't have a problem with that. 
But when we care more about a Halloween costume for our pets than we do about getting the gospel to people that Jesus died for who are not rejecting him, but they don't know who he is. We got a problem. How do we live with eternity in view? We got to believe the Bible. We just got to believe the Bible. There's a story out of, a TTI story out of South India. There was this thief and he lived out in the, he was running from the law. He lived out in the forest and he'd make a campfire. And he'd just, and he lived by stealing. And one day he was casing out this little house and man and woman and, and he waited till they left and then he, he, he sneaked into their house and he had a bag and he, he, he took everything he could find that was valuable. He saw a book sitting there. He'd never seen a book like that. And so he just picked up that book and threw it in the, in the sack. When he got back out in the forest that night, he, uh, he got thinking about that book. He had the fire going. So he opened the book and began reading it. What well, turned out to be a Bible. He'd never seen a Bible. He didn't know what a Bible was. He began reading that book and just, he, he, he had no idea what it was. But he began reading it and he couldn't hardly put it down. He read that Bible every night for four, five, six, seven days. And finally, he was under such conviction. He went back to that house with his bag full of stuff he'd stolen. And he said, I'm a thief. I stole this from you. I'm sorry. And the reason I'm here is because I started reading this book, and I can't explain it, but it's just messed me up. And I had, I had to come and give it back to you. They led him to the Lord. That man became a Timothy and started a church in that very house has reached 20 or 30 people. Somebody say amen. Now, that's the power of God's Word. That's the power of God's Word. You can go to your local library, and you can check out every book on every shelf, and read every word of every line, and it will not have that kind of transformational effect upon your life. That's what the Word, when you really believe the Word of God, you don't have to give, you want to give. You don't have to pray, you want to pray. You don't have to tell people about Jesus, you want to tell people about Jesus. You don't focus on this earth, you focus on things that are above. How do you focus on things above? How do you live with eternity in view? Believe the Bible. Believe the Bible. Say it with me. Believe the Bible. Say it again. Believe the Bible. Say it again. Do you believe that? Balcony, how do you live with eternity in view? Oh, pathetic. How do you live with eternity in view? You believe the Bible, but that's not all. You've got to love the Lord. Oh, you got to love the Lord. Wake up in the morning talking to him. And don't, don't stop all day. He never leaves you. Don't you ever leave him. I once heard somebody say this, this statement probably impacted my life as much as any I've ever heard. I heard some, I read where one of the fathers, the ancient fathers, made the statement. He said, I try not to be out of the conscious awareness of the presence of God for more than 10 seconds at a time during the day. Let me say that again. I try not to be out of the conscious awareness of the presence of God for more than 10 seconds at a time during the day. Malcolm, I don't know if you've ever been to England, that old Spurgeon's Tabernacle. They say Spurgeon used to have a lot of steps leading up to the pulpit. And, and as he'd walk, each step he'd take coming up to the platform, he'd say, I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the... Listen, he was just... Con- 
he, he was constantly in communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you live with eternity in view? You just got to love the Lord. You just keep your mind focused on Him. You just talk to Him all day. You know what I found? When I really believe the Bible and I'm really talking to Jesus, I, I just don't have any problem living right. It's when I stop believing the Bible and when I get Jesus out of my mind, that's when I struggle. When you just believe the Bible and you're just focused on Jesus. You know, have you noticed there's no husband and wife fighting with each other in this room right now? They're waiting until we church gets over, amen? <laughs> have you noticed that? I travel a lot and sometimes I'll be gone, gone three, four weeks at a time. And my wife, she's so sweet and so pretty and so she just doesn't fuss at me about it. And I always tell myself on my last flight home, now when I get home, I'm going to spend time with her and I'm going to, you know, she's been real good to me. The problem is I got this chair. It's like a throne. You men have one, don't you? Jeff has one. He's worn his out. Okay. It's like a, it's the sides are big. You can push your arms there. And I got this flat screen TV and I can click that thing. I don't even have to raise my arm. I just click it. See? And then I can put my food and my, whatever I'm drinking over here. And I can just, I can just, I mean, you say, what do you do for a hobby? I just told you. That's what I do for a hobby. See? And it's like a throne and I can lay back in that thing and, and I've been gone, and I miss my, and, and, and I want to see, you know, I start watching sport, and I see my wife sitting over there, and she's got her glasses down on the end of her nose, and looking at her iPad, she's doing her Facebook stuff, and she's just sitting over there on the couch, she doesn't say a word, and I, I feel guilty, I feel like I ought to go, I ought to turn the TV off, and go over there and spend some time with her, and I start to, but then about that time, uh, Sports Center comes back on, and it's the top 10 plays of the week, okay? And, and I, I get distracted. I get distracted. And I watch those 10 plays, and, and then the commercial comes on, and I look back over. But when the commercial comes on, it's just a habit. I, I, I flip the channel, and the commercial comes on, and then, then it goes to the news station, and, and somebody had breakfast with the Russians, or somebody's eating, doing something with the Russians, or the, the, the Koreans, or somebody. And so I, I, I get distracted again, and I, I start focusing on the news. And that goes on for two or three hours, and I'm eating and drinking and clicking, and I, I, I know what I ought to do, I know what I should do, but I get distracted and then every single station that I like, at, at some point it happens, they all go on a commercial break at the same time. And I don't like commercials. And I look over there, and she's just so beautiful. And I'll say, darling, will you come here a second? And she'll look up at me and say, Why? I just want you to, can you come here for a second? She'll say, she'll say, David, I'm busy right now. I'll say, you're not busy. You're doing Facebook stuff. Will you come here for a second? And she'll, she'll close it up and put it down, and she'll walk over, and she'll look down at me, and she'll say, what? And I'll say, will you sit down right here? And she'll say, Why? 
you, you women make us beg. You know that, don't you? You make us beg. And so finally, after just begging her, she'll sit down right beside Now our faces are like this far apart. And I don't say a word, and she doesn't say a word. We just look at each other. And after about five or ten seconds, she smiles. And when she smiles, I'm in heaven. I don't care about Sports Center. I don't care who went to dinner with the Russians. You can all go to dinner with the Russians. I don't care. Because I'm focused on her. And everything else just fades into absolute insignificance. You know how to live with eternity in view? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. How do you live with eternity in view? Believe the Bible. Love the Lord. Say it with me. Believe the Bible. Love the Lord. Believe the Bible. Love the Lord. That's how you live with eternity in view. And finally, if you're really honest and you say, David... I struggle doing that. I mean, I want to believe the Bible, but I got some doubts. And I know I ought to love the Lord more than I do, but, man, I struggle. Then finally, just ask Him for help. Just ask, just ask the Lord. To, see, the final slide, there's a verse, two verses I love. 1 John 5, 14, 15. I'm going to paraphrase it. Here's what it says. If you pray anything that's God's will, He will hear that prayer. And you can be confident of this. If he hears that prayer, he will answer it. Let me ask you a question. Is it God's will for you to believe the Bible? Is it God's will for you to love his son Jesus? Those are prayers that are according to his will. If you pray those prayers, he will, he, he will hear that. If you're struggling today to believe the Bible, if you're struggling to love the Lord, just ask him for help and he will help you. Now, what's our response today? I guess, first of all, if you've never received Jesus, that's... that's that gets you in the game. That's the starting point. But having put your trust in Jesus, which probably most of you have, set, leave this place today having made the decision, I'm going to live with eternity in view. And when the distractions come, and they will, they're going to come before you get home. When the, when the distractions come, what you've got to do is you just got to believe what the Bible says and you just got to focus on Jesus. You just got to love the Lord. Believe the Bible, love the Lord. Believe the Bible, love the Lord. Believe the Bible, love the Lord. And I think you'll find yourself living the kind of life our Lord wants you to live. $60,000 to plant 200 churches. You know, to me, Malcolm, that's better than buying a new boat. Y'all got some pretty lakes around here, don't you? Yeah. To me, uh, planting 200 churches is better than winning the bass fishing tournament. Amen? Amen. I think 200 churches mean 200 villages where there's never been a church. People that Jesus died for are red and yellow, black and white. They are precious. That's what you teach your children. They are precious in His sight. I mean, think about it. Do you know what $60,000 breaks down to for the giving units of this church? About $133 a family. Most of you can do that. 
those of you that can't, there's others in this room that can do 10 times that, 20 times that, 30 times that. You say, what if we raise more than 60,000? Well, we'll just start more churches. I think God's okay with that, amen? Let me close by telling you a story. Maybe you've heard it before. It comes out of Africa. This church denomination, they were having their big once-a-year meeting. And it was the kind of meeting where if the men had a turban, they'd wear the turban. If they had shoes, they'd wear shoes. The women, if they had a dress, they'd wear the dress. If they had two dresses, they'd wear them both. And they got in and they worshipped as only our African brothers. I mean, they worship. They, it's, it's incredible. And they were singing and dancing and praising God. Then they, they did just what y'all just did. They brought 10 men out on the platform, 10 young men who had surrendered their lives to go north into Islamic country as missionaries. And the moderator got up and said, we've got to raise an offering for these 10 men. We've got to support them. They're willing to lay down their lives, literally lay down their lives. We need to support them. They took up an offering. People gave, and they went back to worshiping and singing and dancing. And, and a few minutes later, the moderator came back out and said, we don't have enough money. We've got to take up another offering. So they took up a second offering. This time, people were writing down on pieces of paper. And there was an American missionary there, and he turned to his African buddy. He said, what are they doing? He said, they're writing down IOUs. They're promising to go home and sell a chicken or sell a goat. And as those plates went by, the baskets went by, they put the IOUs in the basket. The moderator came back 10 minutes later and said, we still don't have enough. We, and by this time, he was broken. He said, we've got to take up another offering. And all of a sudden, somebody just screamed out over here on this side of the auditorium. It was like a shriek. It's like, like somebody had died. And then someone began weeping. And the American missionary is sitting there. And he, it's just like, a, it's like, a, it's like the place is going mad. Suddenly, a man got up and came to the altar and took the turban off of his head and laid the turban on the altar. And then people started coming forward and taking their shoes off and putting their shoes on the altar. Ladies who had two dresses took one dress off and laid the dress on the altar. And they're weeping and they're crying and they're screaming. And the American missionary turned to his African buddy and said, well, why are they screaming? He's, and why are they weeping? He said, he said, friend, they are weeping because they have nothing else to give. Oh, to pastor a church like that. Oh, to see that one time with my eyes in our country. They are weeping because they have nothing else to give. I told that story not far from here up in Nashville, Tennessee. When the service was over, a little African-American girl came forward with a, with a white lady. She was real timid. The lady said, she said, Dr. David, this is October She's eight years old. She's a foster child. I got her today. She's, she hasn't even been to our house yet. She said, I just picked her up a couple of hours ago. And she's never been to church. This is her first church service she's ever been in. I just told that story. She said, on the way to church tonight, I stopped and bought her her first brand new pair of shoes. And then I noticed she was holding her little pink tennis shoes in her hands. She said, Dr. David, October wants to give you her shoes and she wants you to start a church with them. 
I looked down and saw those cute little pink tennis shoes. I took those shoes. I brought them back to my church down in West Palm. I put them on the altar. I told that story. I said, we got to raise enough money to start one church, $300. By the time the services were over, there was $3,600 crammed into those shoes. And then I took the shoes and we gave them to a little, a little Haitian girl in the area in the church that was very poor. Now, I want to tell you something. If an eight-year-old girl, and by the way, I was able to lead her to Christ right after that, but if an eight-year-old girl who isn't even saved yet, who's never been to church, who's never had a pair of new shoes until that day, if she can give those new shoes, we can crush this thing. We can crush it. Are there some Octobers in this room? Are there some people that will say, I'm going to take my eyes off of things of this world that don't matter, and I'm going to set my affection on things above. Would you bow your heads, please? Every head bowed. I'm going to turn it over to you, Pastor Malcolm. I think I'm over time here. Thank you for the privilege of being here. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your, your word today. What a powerful truth. Lord, help us to take it and apply it, not just hear it, not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer also. God will thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.